Tonight's reading is uh, from one of the Pali Sutras, which is one of the holy scriptures in Buddhism. And these are words that are ascribed to the Buddha Shakyamuni. Whatever is not yours, let go of it. Your letting go of it will be for your long-term happiness and benefit. And what is not yours? This uh, particular text comes from a sutra called the Na Tum Haka. And uh, again, these are, you know, teachings and sayings and dialogues between the Buddha Shakyamuni and some of his disciples. Now, this passage that I read you is just the very first part of this small section of sutra. And I, I want to read a little bit more from it uh, so that you might have a better sense of the full body of this particular text. After that initial saying, the Buddha says, The eye is not yours. Let go of it. Your letting go of it will be for your long-term happiness and benefit. Forms are not yours. Eye consciousness is not yours. Eye contact is not yours. Whatever arises in dependence on eye contact, experienced either as pleasure, as pain, as neither pleasure nor pain, that too is not yours. So let go of it. Whatever arises, your letting go of it will be for your long-term happiness and benefit. And so he goes on to talk about the, the ears, the nose, the tongue, the body, the intellect. And it's interesting, it, 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 this passage is about six paragraphs, and he says, let go of it 20 times. <laughs> so it's pretty clear what the main message is here. And there's a, there's a, a point after he's said, you know, this, that sense, that sense, you know, let go of it, where he says, and one of the disciples says to him, suppose a person were to gather, oh no, Buddha says this, pardon me. Suppose a person were to gather or burn or do as he likes with the grass, twigs, branches, and leaves here in Jetta's Grove. And Jetta's Grove is a legendary place where the Buddha did a lot of teaching. Would the thought occur to you, it's us that this person is gathering, burning, or doing with as he likes. Would that really be the way we think about it? And the disciple says, no, Lord. Why is that? Because those things are not ourself, nor do they pertain to ourself. So, you know, so what is Shakyamuni saying here? What he's saying is that everything that is part of what we call the five stages of development, the skandhas, the ego self in essence. Everything that is of the ego self is transitory and impermanent. It's transitory, contingent, and permanent. And what he's saying whenever he says, you know, what happens if someone gathers up these twigs and brushes and burns them? Is that us? And what he's saying is that essentially the ego self is impermanent so that it begins in one place 
and then eventually falls apart. It's scientific. And following the second law of thermodynamics. And so what he's saying is that those things are the things that we shouldn't or we should try to learn not to attach ourselves to primarily. Now, it's really impossible not to attach ourselves in any way. That's not being human. But what he's saying is that what we want to do is learn to see things from the perspective of our true self and learn to live out of our true self so that our ego self can be free of its anxiety and it can be transformed into an expression of our true self. That's what he's trying to say there. So, what is letting go? So letting go is a big subject. And it's really hard. I want you all now to just try to think about something for a moment that, you know, either you've had to let go of, or maybe something that you're in the midst of trying to let go of. It's really hard. I have a famous uh, little demonstration that I sometimes do about letting go, and I say that the ordinary view of letting go is that we're holding on to something really tight, and then if we, we let go, we lose it. And I always say that a more enlightened view of letting go is to open the hand of thought. And then you can see everything, right? But I'll be honest with you, as another human being, sometimes even then when you open the hand like this, you go, ah! <laughs> so even when we open the hand of thought and we see things more clearly, it's not always very pleasant. And I really want to start there by really my heart to yours and just sharing and bearing with you um, the pain that change causes sometimes, many times. So why is it so bloody hard to let go? Well, there's several reasons why. One reason, one primary reason, is our sense of identity. just as the Buddha was trying to illustrate. If we identify primarily with our ego self and, and we do not have a connection to our true self, or that connection is not solid, then we're more likely to find it hard to let go of things. And when we're in a space where we're really having a hard time letting go of things, it's because we're coming from that ego self sense of identity. And it's understandable, right? Because the things that we, we have, uh, they become a part of us. And they become a part of our identity and our persona. And so when there's some kind of change, it seems to take some of that away and it feels like a part of us is dying, or part of us is being torn apart. 
And I just want to sit with that for a moment because I think it's so important that we lead with compassion and no judgment. And believe you me, I don't sit up in some ethereal realm apart from the world. Yes, I am a teacher. Yes, I, I have had my awakening experiences. I'm still human. And so I still have my attachments, my aversions. And the reason it's so hard is because of all those things. But one of the things we can do when we're struggling with change or letting go is we can realize that a big, big part of it is related to what we call in the four directions system of mindfulness, the, the self-esteem, the true self-esteem issue. When I am viewing myself primarily from my ego identity, then change becomes my enemy. And so as long as I'm coming from that perspective primarily, I'm just going to be in a world of suffering. However, if I can learn from the models and from the practices to begin to abide in my true self and to begin to see with those eyes of oneness and realize that my worth and my value as a human being is not predicated or defined by the things I do or the things I have, or the things I don't do anymore, or the things I don't have anymore. That those things don't define who I am, and they certainly don't define my worth. But that's a practice that we need to do every day. And that's why it's so good to have a centering space in your home, so that in your daily devotional practice, you nurture that understanding. And it makes a huge difference. Such a difference. So that's the first thing. That when we're having a hard time letting go. Or we're in the midst of trying to let go. That if we, we ground ourselves in our ground of being. Our true self. Our Buddha nature. That's the first step. And clarifying that no matter what happens. No matter what we have lost. Or what we feel we're letting go of. Um, it's not our identity. Our identity is our true self. And that identity transcends time and space. Now, when you're looking at letting go, usually it involves what we call grieving. And one of the things that we've identified... Uh, and the study, you know, if you study to be a priest in our tradition, in our seminary, or, you know, you, you find yourself working out of your ordained practice, you will find that there are stages of grieving that have been defined. And these stages were originally composed by a woman named Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Now, she was looking primarily at the stages of grief when someone dies or when we're dying ourselves. But I think that those stages could apply to any type of grief. 
any experience of having to let go of something. So it begins with compassion. And in grounding ourselves in our true nature. Now let's look at those five stages. And some of you may have heard of them. They become very well known. And I want to say this about these stages. Some people look at these stages and they think, okay, it's real neat, right? Here's the first stage, here's the second stage, here's the third stage, etc. And while that often is the way things happen, in my experience, it's not exactly like that. And what I mean by that is, I might go through these stages over the period of a week. And I might repeat these stages. So for me, the thing that needs to be sort of an addendum to the idea that we go through these stages is that these stages can happen in a short time and we can cycle through them. And sometimes we get hooked and get stuck on certain stages. And we're in those certain stages. Early Buddhist psychology identified them mythologically with different Indian cosmological beings. I'll say a little bit more about that. So what's the first stage? Well, the first stage is called denial. And what is denial? Denial is where we don't want to admit the change is even happening. You know, we see it, we experience it, but we, we can't accept it. And what happens in, in that stage is that often uh, we are in almost a state of shock, depending on the circumstances. And the other thing that happens is that often we don't know, we don't know what to say, and and we find ourselves in some ways silent. And denial can last a long time. Any of these stages can last a long time, but they don't have to. And that's the that's the good news is that they don't have to. And what I share with you tonight is a way, a path through that. So denial is the first stage. The second stage is anger. And anger is where we move from denial into somehow trying to fight back against the changes. We want to do something to stop the change. So denial is pretending that it's not happening. Anger is facing it, but facing it in a sense that I'm going to somehow stop this from happening. And maybe sometimes it's not even something I can stop, but I'm going to rail against it. And when I'm in that stage, a person, oh boy, they got a lot of anger. They'll complain about a lot of things. And often at this stage, we find ourselves not just sort of dealing with the situation at hand, but we begin to project onto the world all the bad stuff. 
The world sucks. People suck. <laughs> we just become very angry. And that's the stage of anger. And both denial and anger, both of these stages, they're coming from the ego self. The third stage is bargaining. That's the stage I know really well. <laughs> um, and, and bargaining is where, you know, we're trying to do something to make the change to ameliorate or sort of affect the change in some way that takes away the pain. And so we're, we do a lot of deal making. And, and we do a lot of what ifs. You know, so we might do some deal making to try to somehow change the outcome. Or we start asking ourselves, well, geez, what if I had done this? What if I had only done that? And my work with people who have lost loved ones, so often the thing that they say to me is, if I had only done this, what if I had said this? What if I had not done this? And so this bargaining stage is also a lot about questioning and honestly it ends up sort of blaming our self for whatever is happening. And it's, it's a place of desperation when you're in that stage, making lots of deals. And finally, that stage passes into depression. And depression is where we realize there's nothing we can do. We begin to feel a sense of maybe powerlessness. And for a lot of us, that's very uncomfortable. And for some of us, it's way too comfortable. This stage is filled with regret. And the problem with regret is that I often said regret is one of those emotions that's completely useless to us because it, it freezes us. You know, it's sort of like some of these stages tie into our fight, flight, or, you know, freeze. So you might say the first ones are kind of flight, and then there's fight, and then now there's freeze. Yeah. There's a lot of crying and weeping at this stage. And things change too, like eating often changes. We human animals will either more often eat less or stop eating, or sometimes we might eat more. So it's interesting how depression is connected to the consumption of food, and I think that has a lot to do with survival. It's that instinct in us that gets warped in depression.
and often in this stage you know you just sort of retreat and not in a good way you know because the, the retreat can be a beautiful thing but you kind of withdraw and you don't want to talk and you don't want to interact with anybody it's a very lonely place and so that's the stage of depression and again bargaining and depression those are both totally oriented coming out of the ego self. And finally, the fifth stage is acceptance. And this is where we begin to see things as they are. But not, you know, ah, but okay, what can I do now? And it's interesting, particularly, the acceptance stage is where, if we're practicing, we can begin to see how the second principle of oneness unfolds and how it works. For those of you that aren't familiar with the three principles of oneness, these are the foundations of the practice of the Dharma. And I would recommend my book, The Three Principles of Oneness. But that second, that second principle teaches us that change is not our enemy. That we, when we learn to integrate change into our lives, it becomes a powerful ally. And it becomes an opportunity. Crisis becomes creativity. And that's what that second principle is all about. And that's how the universe works, man. That's how it works. Nothing new, this is important, nothing new can come into being unless there's change. And when we resist change, baby, I get it. Uh, it just causes stagnation and death. So acceptance. When we start to see how that second principle of oneness works, we start to feel a sense of inner peace. And when we have that sense of inner peace, which I think is a taste of nirvana, we're finally understanding how things really work. And we start to experience growth again. And in some ways, letting go is like a death. And acceptance is rebirth. Our brothers and sisters in the Christian tradition just celebrated one of their high holy days, which is Easter. And, uh, you know, when we're going through a tough change, it's like a crucifixion. And Holy Saturday, yeah, that's a descent into hell. But there's Easter. There's rebirth. And we see it all around us now. The winter has ended. And it doesn't matter where we are, whether we're here in Pennsylvania or we're down in Florida, you can see it. It's a little more subtle down there. You have to look for it. 
but the seasons still occur and you can see new life but that new life could not come into being without change and if things couldn't be let go of these new things could not come into being and we would not be here we would not be here if great changes in the cosmos hadn't come about to allow us to be. And it's easier when you're on this end of it, you know. When you think about the cosmic perspective of how, you know, billions of years ago, all the life on this planet died when oxygen came into being. But oxygen is what allowed us to come forth. It's hard when you're in the middle of it. So those are the five stages. We all go through them. And as I said, you know, some people go through them in sequence. But I find that a lot of people go through them in cycles. And they'll cycle through like one or two of the stages and they'll get kind of stuck on the third. I personally find myself often getting hooked in the bargaining stage. Because I'm a clever guy. So I'm always coming with my ego self, so always trying to figure stuff out. But there's, but understanding these five stages and understanding what's happening is part of our knowledge and part of our wisdom that allows us to sort of get a handle on things. So, how do you let, learn to let go? What's our practice? Well, as I said before, it begins with compassion. You know. The first thing you want to do when you're going through a tough change is, is we, we say sit with it. That's our thing. And what that means is to just be with it. You know, don't, don't try to do anything. Allow that, that natural sense of shock and that natural sense of speechlessness that can occur. Allow that to turn into meditation. Just be with it embraced by the boundless compassion of our true selves. Let us rest, let our ego self rest in the arms of our true self. Reconnect with our true self through our practices, practices of devotion, centering space, bowing, meditation, And then also, another thing we can do is talk with a spiritual friend. Someone that you can express your feelings without judgment or advice. And that stage is really important. That, that, that practice, rather, is really important because, honestly, you know, that's why in Buddhism we have three treasures we take refuge in. The Buddha the Dharma, and the Sangha. The Sangha is equal to the other two. And this is why. Because we need other people that we can be ourselves with without apology, without judgment. In our culture today, everybody's so judgmental. Pop culture is so incredibly judgmental. But we are a community of grace, the beloved community. And our clergy are trained and devote their lives to being spiritual friends. 
And of course, anybody can be your spiritual friend, but that's our calling. And so I want you to know if you're going through some difficult time of letting go, that's why we're here. So please reach out to us and let us be your spiritual friend. I always think of that song, I get by with a little help from my friends. And third, you know, do a practice that allows you or helps you to see things more clearly. As I said at the beginning, check your self-esteem, man. Because a lot of times the reason that you have difficulty letting go is because your self-esteem thing's out of whack. And do the four questions. You know, I'm always saying and always admonishing, do the four questions, man. Do the four questions. And sometimes when we're in a difficult spot, you know, we'll be like, I don't want to do the four questions, you know. But that's part of the discipline of practice. And and your spiritual friends, at some point, let them let them help you with that. Because the four questions are so incredibly powerful. You go through the four questions process and you follow it step by step, I guarantee you, you will have a shift in the way you see things. And because of that, you'll have a shift in the way you feel. And because of that, You'll have a shift in the way you act. And be creative. Honestly, one of the great joys of being in this role is that I get to practice all day long when I'm working with people I'm counseling and giving direction to, or even when I'm preparing for like tonight's homily. This is how I do it. This is a creative way for me to take what's going on inside of me and bring it out into the light of the Dharma. It's a compassionate action. Good preachers are always preaching to themselves. And take care of yourself, you know? So often when we're going through something where we're letting go, especially if you're like me where you kind of cycle through that bargaining and depression stage. <laughs> it, take care of yourself. You know, make sure you, you eat properly. Make sure you rest. And for heaven's sake, laugh. Whatever you have to do, I always tell people, have something that you can do every day that you know will make you laugh regardless of what's happening. If the whole world's going to hell, have something that makes you laugh. Because honestly, the best spiritual practices turn our anxieties into laughter. And take care of others. That's another practice I've found. Is that sometimes, you know, I do all these other practices too. But it really helps me to sort of take the attention off myself a little bit. And look at how I might help someone else. You have to be careful with that a little bit because if you're not taking care of yourself and you're just taking care of others, that can be another form of avoidance and denial or bargaining. But ultimately, yeah, that helps me a lot, man. 
I'm in a tough situation, I'm doing all the other practices, if I turn out of myself and I start to focus on helping someone else, just being there for them, being that spiritual friend, man, it's amazing. It's miraculous how healing, how powerful that is. So that's it. That's it. So when we're going through a tough time of trying to let go, these are the things that I know. These are the things that I know that have worked for all our ancestors, work for us, and it'll work for our descendants. So, once again, first thing, learn to sit with things when it happens. Don't, don't push and rush yourself. Pay attention to your self-worth, your self-esteem. Make sure that's not out of whack. Take refuge in the third treasure, spiritual friends. Open yourself to the way reality is, that the nature of reality is change. And the reason there is change is so that new things can come into being, so that creation can continue. Don't forget to laugh.